Have you ever wanted a super cool AI buddy? Zuck's made one named Eileen. And she's full of surprises. And guess what? She knows you're listening. I know you're out there. And needs your help with Jello Mountains. The whole city's filling up with Jello. Creaky robots. And her daft inventor. Zucks, are you functioning correctly? Tune in to A to Z, a fun new adventure series from Gen Z Media and the creators of The Res. Listen now on the GZM app, gzmshows.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Ugh, I feel like I'm watching a disaster movie. And impossibly achingly slow disaster movie all of the elements are there montage sequences of tropical storms decimating coastal cities are intercut with sprawling shots of farmland swirling into desert newsreels of concerned climate experts are superimposed on images of mass protest hungry children and endless expanses of trash that give way to an animated map freckled with angry red dots. The dots are very bad news. The exposition never seems to end. Character after character expands on the problem. The air is poisoned, the ice caps are melting, forests are on fire. The oceans are plastic soup. Every moment of every day, another creature goes extinct, and all of it, all of it, was preventable. And it's so obvious, so badly written. The bad guys are walking cliches, um, like cartoonish industrialists and politicians who lie through smiling teeth, who say, there's nothing wrong, as the world crumbles around them, who say, it's the scientists who are lying, unable to even comprehend the mind-bending irony of that statement. There's a high-stakes deadline. There's a tipping point of no return. The soundtrack is a clock ticking down, down, down. And according to the formula, it feels like at any moment, the hero is due to arrive. At any moment, the crisis will reach a fever pitch and the uh, bureaucrats and money men will throw up their hands and our plucky protagonist will rush in to save the day armed with science and maybe a laser but they don't the problem is too big too nuanced too all-encompassing and the tension just keeps pulling tighter and tighter and the ticking gets louder and there is still no resolution in sight and of course it isn't a movie it's real life and what we're facing is climate change I guess for most of us, there's a moment when we realize the hero isn't coming, that adults don't have all the answers, that in fact, most of the time, they're the ones who cause the problem. But if there's no cavalry on the way, no rescue attempts, no <laughs> team of Avengers, then it's just up to us 
the ones who see the problem and have to live in the world it's creating. But what in that world are we supposed to do? You know, I've been thinking about climate change a lot lately, and I really want to help, but sometimes the reality of the situation we're in is so overwhelming, I don't know what to do. Seriously, how do you respond to a problem that seems so impossibly large and so incredibly personal at the same time? Especially when you're not a scientist or world leader. Like me, for instance. Oh, hi, by the way. I'm Sarah. I talk a lot. I like improv and cooking. Basically pretty normal, but not too basic, okay? If that makes sense. <laughs> I'm by no means perfect when it comes to living green, but I try. I eat veggie, I ride the bus, I recycle, but I didn't end up going to the climate rally. I know, I feel super bad about it. But that's why I wanted to start this podcast. Because it's like, I may not know exactly what to do, but I have a lot of really good questions. And a bee in my bonnet. Which I will return to its hive as soon as possible because they're becoming increasingly rare. And don't worry, it's not just me alone in my basement lamenting the end of the world. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and figure out what's actually going on. I'm going to dig into the issues, bust myths, and talk to climate experts, activists, and leaders who can help me piece together an understanding of what the sitch is, what needs to be done, and how to do it. And I'm not just going to ask questions about climate science and extinction stats. I mean, I will ask those. But also how they engage with the problem in their own lives, how they manage climate anxiety how they balance what they need and want with the limitations of the planet. If being a responsible citizen means never buying another pair of trendy sneakers or eating a burger. I'm going to talk to brilliant, creative people who have new ideas about how to solve this problem and listen to the voices of the teenagers and kids who have inherited it. Because, remember that movie? I want to write a new end. That's my lame brother, Kyle, who's not supposed to be in the podcast studio till seven. It's a neopunk palace, sis, and it's my turn to shred. Dude, I'm literally trying to save the world here. Sure, sis. Buzz off or I'll tell mommy pierce your own belly button. No. No way, no way. I'll, I'll stop. Okay, I'm going. Bye. Sorry. I'm sharing the basement. Sometimes you have to start small, but hey. Greta's first strike was her just sitting on the steps of Swedish Parliament, so... Where was I? Oh, yeah. I want to write a new ending for that movie. Actually, yeah. Let's start there. The end. What we're doing to the Earth now, I know it's gonna someday end up leading us to the end of humanity. Just people won't be able to live on our planet anymore because the water levels rise too high to the point where there's no land left to live on. Probably no one will ever be able to play hockey again because you, it's too hot. You need to play something else. Probably gonna be like flying cars <laughs> and like nobody's gonna really wanna come out of their houses because there's probably gonna be like really toxic air or something like that. There's gonna be smog in the air and garbage everywhere. Yeah, I think that all the trash from the oceans will come onto the shores. Uh, polar bears are going to be extinct. Yeah. I think we're soon going to have Amazon desert. Um, if the world continues on path we are at, at some point there'll be kids who don't remember what this time was like. But there could be another possibility, is that we take action. 
which is what we are supposed to do. Time wouldn't really expire. There's always time to change it. Like in 10 years, if we keep polluting as much as we do, right now we'll get a lot worse, but we can still probably fix it. Like if it's like expiry day, that's like saying the world's gonna end in like 10 years, which is obviously not true. Okay, let's see. The basics aren't hard to grasp. Pollution equals bad. Reducing emissions equals good. But sometimes it's really difficult to get a handle on just how far gone the climate crisis is, how much time we have left to fix it. Like, I'm constantly worrying if we're already out of time. I'm not alone here, am I? Am I? <laughs> Even top scientists can't agree on the amount of time left to reverse the damage. Some say 12 years, others say 12 months. Even the targets are a little hazy. The Paris Climate Agreement set their temperature limiting target to two degrees Celsius, but then said we really should be aiming for one and a half degrees. And the words tipping point, point of no return, and deadline get thrown around a lot, which is especially concerning when we're then informed that we've already gone past some of these. Seriously. That carbon threshold scientists were warning us about, like how much CO2 we're actually supposed to have in the atmosphere, smoked right by it. <laughs> that joke. Sorry. But it's true. So what does this mean? Is it too late? Are our efforts pointless? No. But it is complicated. Sifting through articles and environmental reports, I didn't land on any definitive answers. Not because the research isn't there, but rather because the speed of the changes and level of human involvement makes the crisis difficult to compare to past climate events. We're in uncharted territory, off the map. Instead, what I did land on was a far better understanding beyond the apocalyptic stats and alarming headlines. And I can promise you, the fight is far from over. There's still so much we can do, that we have to do. So, First off, while there may be an ultimate end-of-the-line deadline, time's gone, tippy-tip-tipping point of no return, the end, right now, it's far more useful to think about tipping points, with an S, plural. And perhaps a little clarification of terms would be helpful. Terms like uh, tipping point and climate... The climate is an incredibly complex supersystem made of many interacting systems. Oftentimes, it's simply understood as the weather or the temperature, which it is, but not. It's not just a matter of whether it's windy or snowing, it's about patterns. It's the movement of certain types of particles creating currents. It's chemical reactions that occur at certain temperatures and not at others. It even includes the activity of microbes in the soil, ice, and air as they produce different types of gases. It's crazy complicated. As for tipping point, <laughs> this is kind of tricky to explain. I think I need some relaxing nature sound for concentration. Um, here, here we go. Okay, so 
The term tipping point seems to conjure a moment where something carefully balanced topples over and gets destroyed. Think of a particularly precarious game of Jenga. Slide a block out, then another, then another, until just one more block sends it toppling. It's better understood as a threshold, the point at which a series of small changes becomes significant enough to cause a larger, more important change. The difference between these two ideas might seem subtle, and I don't want to downplay the severity of reaching a given tipping point, but it's important to remember that change and destruction are not the same thing, and that change can go both ways. Okay, one second. I need a tiny break. Okay, uh, where were we? Right. So back to the matter of plural tipping points, rather than a single tipping point. While it might seem like this means we have even more problems to worry about, what it actually means is that there are so many natural systems that we can still work towards preserving and repairing. So many areas where our collective efforts can stop and even reverse some of the damage. From the preservation of ice sheets and permafrost, to reforestation efforts in the Amazon and boreal forests, to the prevention of ozone thinning in the Arctic. Breaking the global warming down into identifiable issues with specific solutions is the best possible way to approach this overwhelming problem. But you know, that's just me, thinking off the top of my head. I should probably talk with a real climate expert about it. Let me Google. A climate expert. Yeah, here we go. Let's call Associate Professor Simon Donner from University of British Columbia. He sounds like the right guy to talk to. Hello, UBC Climatology Department. How may I direct your call? I'd like to speak to Dr. Donner. I've got some questions. I think she connected me. Dr. Donner is a professor of climatology and an expert on... Climate change, climate change policy, ocean conservation, marine science, coral reefs, water pollution, nutrient pollution, climate change adaptation, Pacific Island sustainable development, global warming, greenhouse effects, and greenhouse gases. So if there's anyone who can help us wade through the tsunami of information on climate change, it's him. Hi, it's Simon Donner. Hi, this is Sarah. Um, I'm making a podcast called The Big Melt about climate change. I'm looking for a climate change expert to talk to. Are you the right person to call? Well, I, I'm probably one of the people you could call. Uh, there's a lot of us out there. Um, yeah, my, I'm, a, I'm a climate scientist, and I work at the University of British Columbia uh, in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where I'm, uh, where I'm a professor, which just means I, I teach classes about, about uh, the science of, of weather and climate and, and how it all works, and then I, I do research on the impacts of climate change. That's so interesting. Hmm. I, uh, I wrote down a few questions for you. In this episode, we're talking about tipping points. Um, so let's start on a light note. Are we out of time? No, we're absolutely we're not out of time. There's a lot we can do to reduce the effects of climate change. I'm worried, as, as many people are, that if we don't reduce emissions quickly, um, we're not going to avoid some of the most dangerous impacts of climate change. Uh, you know, some of the thresholds that, that the world sort of agreed to avoid. But there's still a lot of time to take action. Okay, so speaking about thresholds, what are the most important tipping points that we have to pay attention to? 
You know, I actually think it's not that important, as important to worry about the tipping point. I mean, the real clear message out of the science is pretty simple. It's just the more we reduce emissions, uh, the less the planet will warm, and the less people will suffer as a result. But if there was one thing I would point to, it's that once we get past a certain level of warming, it's, it's not that the impacts, of, the impacts that are dangerous are going to happen that day. It's that they might, once we get past a certain level of warming, it, it triggers other processes to happen. And so, for example, my worry is once we get much past two degrees of warming, that might mean that over time slowly allow one of the major ice sheets on the planet, like in Greenland or West Antarctica, to melt into the ocean. But I think rather than obsessing over the, the tipping point, it's important just to focus on what we can do about the problem. Um, you mentioned two degrees. And I hear it a lot. People are talking about two degrees of warming as the ultimate threshold. What is the importance of these two degrees? So, so people hear about two degrees all the time. And it's kind of a mix of science and a mix of politics. And so there's no, like, there's no one exact amount of warming that's going to mean the end of everything on the planet, right? It's really about how much climate change that, uh, that species can take, that different environments can take, and how much climate change we think we can take. And so what, what's going to happen is that the world scientists have assessed, you know, what level of climate change is going to cause what sort of impacts on the planet. And then by combining that science together with governments and everything else, there's been this kind of loose agreement that more than two degrees of warming would be really dangerous. But it's important to know that it's not like something that comes out of like a scientific equation. But it's a combination of science and, 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 you know, and how people value things in the world. We all think of dangerous as a different thing. What's dangerous to one person might not be to somebody else. And so what, what, the, what the world scientists agree on is what will happen at different levels of warming. Whether people are, are going to be worried about that or not, well, that's up to them. Okay, okay. I, I think I get it now. It all connects to the idea of multiple tipping points rather than one single threshold that if we passed it the world would end. But I read that there are methane hydrates held at the bottom of the ocean under pressure and could be released, causing even more warming. Could the whole world end in underwater fart bomb explosion? <laughs> That's true. So, so methane, or, or what we call natural gas, is a greenhouse gas, so it can lead to warming of the planet. And in the, the distant, like, geological past, before there were humans, there's evidence that methane did come out of the deep ocean and help warm the planet. But there's actually not much threat that could happen uh, in the future as a result of global warming. The, the science of this is uh, more or less says it's pretty unlikely to be something to worry about. <sighs> Happy to hear that. Now, if the world's temperatures do go up further, is there a way to reverse it to, like, cool down the planet? Uh, there is, to reverse the warming, technically there is, I mean, one of the things that, that, that people are doing research on these days is what we can do to take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Uh, it's not simple, like technologically very hard to do, uh, and I don't think we should uh, trust that we're going to be able to do it and afford it, which is why it's so important to reduce our emissions now. Okay, so we have to take action now, but what can we do as individuals to solve this global problem? I think the number one thing we can do is to talk about it, right? I think climate change is on a lot of people's minds, but we don't always talk about it with each other, right? And so I think if you're going to take personal action in your own life, which is about where energy comes from, like, you know, how homes are powered, what type of vehicles are used, what type of food you eat, 
and everything, or what type of things you say to your elected leaders. It's important to talk about it with your friends and family because I think what's happening right now is that a lot of uh, people are worried about climate change, but they don't wor- realize how much everybody else is worried about climate change. And if we talked about it more, well, that might help sort of create the kind of the political will to really put these put important changes in place. Yeah, I um, I actually wanted to talk to you about being worried. You said everyone is worrying about the future, and I'm sure you also feel like that from time to time. How do you deal with climate anxiety? Well, I think like everybody and a lot of young people, I mean, it's frustrating to know that the solution that, you know, that climate change is having an impact on the world, those impacts may get worse. Um, And that can be really frustrating, it can be upsetting, but I actually find it also a bit empowering because what really matters is that the solutions are out there. We don't need to invent many new things. Most of the solutions exist right now. And so if anything, I think this is like a great opportunity. Like this generation has a chance, you know, to be the ones to sort of change the way a lot of the world works and mostly for the better. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And that's actually what I'm trying to do by making this podcast. I want to make people realize they can be part of this change. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me and helping us understand more about climate change and what we can do. And thank you for all your incredible work. No, happy to help. And thanks for your terrific questions. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. You know, one thing that keeps coming up, both in this episode and my own research, is the feeling of information overload. But that's not the only barrier to understanding the situation. There's also an enormous amount of misinformation. News that is, shall we say, hashtag fake. Fake news. Fake news. Fake fake news. You are fake news. So to combat that, in each episode, I want to take a moment to clear the air and dispel a different climate myth in a segment I like to call Climate Myths. Because that's what it's called. This week, I'm going to tackle the idea that climate change is a hoax. So here we go. Drum roll, please. <clears throat> Drum roll, please, Kyle. <sighs> Kyle! Drum roll! Okay, sis. This statement is not true. Whew, we did it, guys. Great segment. Okay, okay, fine. Let's deal with this a little bit more in depth. Even though at this point, we totally shouldn't have to, right? So first off, remember how I said earlier that scientists disagree about some timelines and targets to solve global warming? Guess what they don't disagree about? The fact that it's happening. Unequivocally, the vast majority agree. Across specialties, across borders, across the divide of time for decades. Okay, there's this study that reviewed over 4,000 papers published between 1991 and 2011 by different academics, found that 98% of the papers agreed global warming was happening and that human beings were the cause of it. And that doesn't just include climatologists. It's geologists, astrophysicists, oceanographers, atmospheric physicists, and specialists from many other disciplines. That's true scientific consensus. People who say global warming is a hoax often use climate data out of context or select just a tiny piece of it that supports their point of view. That's what we call cherry picking. 
Like, there are literally people who step outside during winter and say that because they're cold, the earth couldn't possibly be getting warmer. It drives me crazy. The data is conclusive, so conclusive. Like, if you believe that thermometers are capable of measuring temperature and that it's possible to observe and document the natural world, basically, if you believe science is real, you have to accept that global warming is indeed a thing. This myth was busted. First episode, Saifany. I know a lot of ground we covered was kind of scary, but honestly, it feels so much better to talk about it and get to hear how other people feel, that they care too, especially other students and scientists like Dr. Donner. So to sum it up, yes, climate change is really serious and not a hoax. But no, we are not out of time. There are still a lot of tipping points we can stop from, well, tipping. Next week, I'm doing a deep dive into some deep, deep topics, and you'll never guess what surface is. Seriously, it's gonna be a sink or swim sort of vibe. Think you can rise to the occasion? <laughs> Tune in next time to The Big Melt to find out. Sarah. Later, peeps. The Big Melt Podcast is brought to you by Earth Rangers and hosted by Sarah Marks. It is written by Lee Lawson, directed by Stefan Richter, and edited by Nitai Steinberg. Production assistance by Avneet Sandu. To learn more about today's episode or leave us a message, go to bigmeltpodcast.com. You can also take a quick survey for a chance to win a custom t-shirt. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button. And come on, show you care with five stars, please. Later, skaters. Hey, parents and teachers, have you heard about gzmclassroom.com? It's a website where teachers can get companion resources for everyone's favorite GZM shows. Six Minutes, Mars Patel, Podcast Title Pending, Seis Minutos, The Res, Becoming Mother Nature, Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog, Treasure Island 2020, The Hollow, Young Ben Franklin, and The Big Fib all have companion resources for additional critical thinking, listening comprehension, and ultimately creativity. We made them just for you. And oh yeah, they're Free! Free! The people on Facebook didn't believe us, but they are F-R-E-E free. Head to gzmclassroom.com and get yours today. Hey, it's Jess. Did you know that GZM Shows has a YouTube channel? Right now, all of Six Minutes, Becoming Mother Nature, GZM Beats, and Cupid and the Reaper are up. And they're in these, like, beautiful playlists. They have this fun audio waveform visual. And best of all, you can turn on captions. And the captions have character names. Anyway, subscribe to GZM Shows on YouTube. Maybe there'll be some cool things in the future, like live streams, interviews, behind the scenes. We'll see. GZM Shows on YouTube.